Hi, I'm Heather Knight, and this is the Surviving to Thriving podcast. One in four women will experience severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. We're going to discuss the taboo topic of domestic violence and the tools our thrivers have used to succeed in life. We want you to know that you are not alone in this fight. Please keep listening if you or anyone you know has been impacted by domestic violence. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to thank our sponsor, Night Protection Services, for making this podcast possible and all the support they provide our cause. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Surviving to Thriving. Today we have Sierra Clayton with us. She's a certified nursing assistant. She then got her associates in liberal studies and graduated with honors in 2017. She is a military wife, which as you guys know, is near and dear to us. She is a dog mom and a human mom to be. Congratulations. She was also trained to be a domestic violence advocate, which is awesome. I want to definitely get into what that entailed and how all of that works. But the, the main reason that she's here today is she wants to tell her story of domestic violence that she went through her father. And so... Sierra, just give us a little bit about you and your background before we get into all the awesome things we're going to talk about. So I am Sierra Green now, and I'm 23. I was between the ages of 12 and 13, really probably maybe about 11 to 13. It happened about two for two years. While I was going through domestic violence, I have a little sister and my mom, my my biological father decided to just take my sister under his wing so he decided to just um he was a drug head and he emotionally mentally and physically abused both my mom and I that's uh, and I'm excited it's the wrong word to use but I'm just ha- you know happy that you have that situation and but excited to talk about it because it's yeah so- such we've talked about this before it's such a huge healing thing to to talk about it and to hear somebody else talk about it and know that other people have been through it so definitely and it's completely understanding to to say those words it's like when you say the words i'm a domestic violence survivor people just are like silenced and they're like oh I, i'm sorry and i'm like honestly it's okay right now i would not be the woman i am today if i didn't go through those situations and i think God put me in this world to be stronger and to get through what we did. And I really helped my mom push through. I'm actually the reason why she left and I'm the reason why he's in prison. I think it's fantastic that you were strong enough to help your mom get out of that situation. Most kids at, you said 11 to 13, so Mm -hmm. 13 years old, most 13 year olds are worried about themselves and, and trying to figure out their own lives and are not focused on other people around them. So I think that is amazing. So I guess let's start at the beginning. How did it start? Obviously you didn't just get born at 11 years old. So was there a period of grace and and perfection almost in your life from birth to 11? So honestly, because of everything that happened, I've blocked out a lot of my childhood. But my, um, I don't even like to call him my biological father. He is my sperm donor. He was in and out of prison my entire life. Like he first got, went into prison in 1996, which is the year I was born. And when I was about, I want to say five or seven years old, somewhere around there, he got out of prison for the first time. And my mom took him back. Um, I wish she would have learned her lesson that time. <laughs> but I remember my, my, my grandma had three property, three houses on her property. We lived in one small two-bedroom house. And I don't remember too much of that, er- that time. But he would put lure tabs in my mom's Dr. Pepper and make her pass out. And then he would go into our kitchen and start cooking meth. And one day she woke up, found out, and I don't know how the story began, but she got addicted to meth. One night, I don't know what happened, but the cops were called. And I just remember the cops waking us up, me and my little sister, she's four years younger than me. So if I was like, she was probably two, three years old. No, not even that. If I was five or seven, she was maybe one or two tops. And the cops woke us up and they put blankets over my mom and sperm donor's head so we couldn't even say goodbye. 
and then they took us into DHS custody. I remember going to the hospital and getting checked out. My grandma and grandpa, they are my livelihood, and they fought for, I don't, I don't know how long, but they fought to get custody of us. They did finally win because the system were trying to separate me and my sister. I briefly remember being in a foster home, but I don't know how long it was. I just remember being in the shelter and my second grade teacher coming to visit me and bringing me Valentine's uh, bear and Valentine's cards and stuff like that. And my grandparents visiting me and my grandpa always giving me gold dollars. But that's beside the point. We got, we got into my grandparents' custody and things were pretty good. My mom was in a boot camp prison type area and she got out. She got clean. She's been clean for going on 15 years, I think. That's amazing. Um, And so she's still struggles with everything, but on drug wise, she's been completely clean. Felony kind of messed up her life. Um, job-wise, school-wise, stuff like that, but my mom got to finally get us to move back in with her, and I think I was maybe 10 or 11 years old, and we moved to Hera, Oklahoma, and that's what, we we got a trailer, and then she took my biological, or I guess my biological father had gotten out of prison again, and she took him back a second time. Everything was good, in that area time, like, other than him coming back into my life and me being, you know, preteen, going into teen, like, you, and I just remember him always thinking he had such authority over us and always acting like he was the boss, and I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Pardon pardon my language, but, (laughs) like, how are you going to come into somebody's life and try and control them? Right. Um, But he never beat us or anything, um, then but he then we moved to McLeod which is where I ended up graduating high school and that was we got a trailer down there and he let his friends move in with us and from there on out I don't know if his friend was already doing dope and he just got him back on it or if he was just really good at hiding it at first I I I don't know, but he was definitely doing meth again. He went crazy. He wouldn't necessarily hit my mom, like punch her or use her as a punching bag, but she, he would just mentally and emotionally abuse us by yelling. Like my mom never had any control. She was the only one making money because he was a worthless piece of crap. Mm -hmm. And so she, and she would always have to use her paycheck to like provide his cigarettes and his alcohol and I'm sure probably his drugs too. And then he would like bite her and push her. And I remember she, he poked her in the eye once and just little things like that. And then I always was the person who stood up for my mom. So every time my mom were, and him were in a fight, I would always be the person to challenge it. So that way it would kind of help my mom get some relief. And I remember he threw a tennis ball at my head one time, ended up hitting the kitchen cabinet. And he was so pissed that he slammed the fridge door and broke all the shelves on the door. And then he would chase, chase me down the hallway, try and choke me. And I had, you know, trailer older trailers are not really put up put put up together very well and the way my bedroom was set up was I had this like walk-in closet and the end of the closet and then where my bedroom door there was just like a little tiny area so I could sit in front of my bedroom door and put my feet on the closet wall so I could lock him out with my full body force. I would do that several times. There was several other times where I would always try and challenge him and I was always the smart ass the disrespectful one or whatever because honestly respect is earned and he never respected us so that's the one thing in my life that I learned from him and that I carry on in my life is the respect is earned because he was always big on respect except he's a terrible human being there was 
I'm going to kind of skip into where the big fight happened. Yeah, definitely. Um, because that's where everything kind of ended. Um, I remember my little sister and the dogs being in my bedroom. My sister was bawling her eyes out. And I was blocking the my bedroom door. And they were screaming and yelling and fighting. And she had kicked him out. He would continue. He would threaten my mom saying that he was going to burn our house down. And all different kinds of things. So we ended up moving since my bedroom was in the very, very back by the forest area. So he could easily catch my room on fire. So we moved my bed and every, and we both slept, my sister and I, in the living room. He didn't, she did leave him technically, you know, in a way, I guess. Yeah. He is a manipulative just terrible person. So instead, we were in the very, very back of the trailer. It's about a mile long trailer park. And it had front the front part of trailers. And then it had like a, a forest area with that had a trail trail in it. And then it had a back end of trailers. We were in like the first trailer to the back. And when she kicked him out, he just moved to one of the front trailers. So he was in, still in the trailer park, still within barely the 500 feet or whatever the VPO is. Right. He would eavesdrop under, and he, well, I'm sorry, I'm skipping ahead too much. So my mom and him were still hooking up and whatever. It's even gross just to think about, but <laughs> uh, they were, they were still talking and whatnot, even though he lived in a different house. Just but, still violating the... The VPO. Well, there wasn't a, there wasn't a VPO right um, then. This was just like, this was before it got really bad. I mean, it was kind of all bad, but it, before he strangled me, which was the end notion. So he would kind of, he was kicked out. He would still come around, eat our food, whatnot. And then something happened and which escalated to November 26, 2012. That was the, which was, I believe, the day after Thanksgiving. And he was high on meth and my mom and him were fighting and it was really bad. She tried to leave. I remember him um, knocking stuff out of my hands and my glasses flew off my face and um, he was trying to hit me with a belt and we were getting in the car or in, in my mom's truck and trying to leave to go to my grandparents, but we never ended up leaving. I remember we hung out with our neighbor for a little while, just trying to end because she was an ex-cop. He went back to his house and things kind of calmed down for a little bit. And then he would just keep coming back. So we went back home. We thought everything was kind of done. It was everybody was tired and just exhausted from all the energy it took during their fight. So we actually laid down and I actually had my best friend staying the night with me. She knew about everything that he w did. She, she knew about my parents or my mom's past and all of that. And, but she was there when he strangled me. He ended up breaking through, hurling through our door and they were arguing, fighting, and I'm, he was probably hitting her. It was They were in their bedroom with a door closed. He ended up leaving again. I remember him calling my mom or texting her and telling her that he was going to kill himself. And then all of a sudden, we hear what sounded like a gunshot in the forest area. Turns out he just had one of those wildcat or black cat fireworks. And he just yeah. popped that off. So my mom calls the cops before attempted suicide. And I can't remember exactly what happened in between there. But the cops were going to come. They never did. So I don't know if she canceled the call or what. She had to have because they never came. He ended up hurling through the door again, actually breaking it off Um I somewhere in my files and stuff I have all the pictures from the police reports all the actual police reports like their statements our statements and all of that and they like the door wouldn't even close all the way again wow. and he that was the beginning to the end 
he, they were on the couch. He was like spitting and biting my mom and like in her face. And my, I'm in like this love seat kind of, or no, it was like a, just a regular chair. It wasn't like a recliner, but it was a chair. And my friend was on this um, couch and she was in my mom and um, was on the love seat and he was hurling over her. I had my cell phone and I actually had uh, one of those just very non-sharp steak knives that you have in a regular knife set. I was eating peppermint bark and I'm very picky eater so I don't like dark chocolate and so I was using that knife to chop off the dark chocolate while me and my friend were playing Uno or something like that. And I finally just got tired of everything because it's all happening right in front of us. We're just trying to ignore it. And he did something and I looked at him. I said, if you're not, if you're, if you hit my mom one more time, I'm going to call the cops. And he is like a complete different human. He's like superhuman, high on dope, like crazy. And I, he hurled over me and I put my phone in my bra and I was, I had my feet up on, like on him and I had my arms like this just holding like so he couldn't get my phone and he started strangling me I don't remember much then because my mom said I was black and blue and I I guess I blacked out she is my, my friend is just frozen on the couch and she's like hitting him on her back on his back trying to get him off me and and I'm blacked out at this time so I don't know what I'm doing but I guess I grabbed that steak knife and I put it towards his stomach but he's trying to turn it around to stab me and I just keep it straight and then after however long he was choking me for he went to push it into his stomach well in all three police officers reports everything there was it did not stab him there was no blood no skin no nothing on the knife or anywhere around he fell on the ground dramatic and then he ran away when my mom called the cops he went back to his trailer up front because his hood was still hot but for some reason the mcleod police department small towns like that hopefully now now that it's been what 2012 almost eight years what eight years now I'm hoping that small towns like that take domestic violence a little bit more seriously. They said that they could, they had no reason to get him out of his trailer, which is kind of BS, but I'm sure sure there's something that they could have done to arrest him that night. There either 100% is, and being a former cop, I know exactly what they could have done, but I was also a cop in in a large city. And so, but, and that was like the thing that everybody talked about was like small towns have no clue how to deal with domestic violence because it's just, it's prevalent, but it's not trained. Like those officers are not trained on how to deal with. Oh, most definitely not. Most definitely not. And I, I, I feel like my, the, the end of my story, like the, the getting to the torture and stuff that he did for us for four months before he was finally arrested and everything was, is just straight up fact on why small towns are not educated and trained to do domestic, to deal with domestic violence situations, which is sad because I think probably in a lot of small towns, that happens more often. Yeah. And I mean, you don't know the statistics in that, but I feel like it could happen a lot more often. Yeah, it definitely, I mean, there's domestic violence, there's no socioeconomic bounds, no racial bounds, no age, no you know, gender, it, exactly. it, it affects everybody and, and it's prevalent in every situation, in every community. And so it, all police officers should be trained in. And speaking to that point, um, I completely agree. And most people think domestic violence is just emotional or physical abuse. It's not. Domestic violence is sexual abuse, financial abuse. If you're if your abuser is the only one who does the budget or or controls all the money, like if you work or something like that and he takes all of your paycheck, like that is financial abuse. Transportation abuse to where he he controls where, when, and um, if you can leave the house or where when you can leave work, whatever. There's the emotional, there's the neglect, there's physical, there's sexual 
um, which everybody knows what all all three of those are. I mean, mm-hmm. you just being called a worthless piece of meat is abuse. Exactly, exactly. Um, and a lot of what we talk about here is like the psychological abuse because that's a lot a, a lot more prevalent than actual physical violence. Is it is psychological, emotional abuse, and a lot of people just ignore it because it's like, oh well, it could be worse. He's not hitting me. It's like, well that also does so much to your psyche and the person that you are. And that's a lot of what we're bringing awareness to is the psychological effects that. It definitely does. I will tell you now it's been what, eight, nine years now. I am 23. I'm married. I'm expecting my first child. Like we, we've, we've grown together. Like my husband and I have been together for a little over five years and I still struggle. Like I, as a, as a married couple, communicating is a big, a, a big thing. And I mean, to any relationship you have, whether it's a husband, wife, 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 husband, husband, um, just a boyfriend, girlfriend, mother, daughter, I mean, boy to employer, like it, it doesn't matter. It, uh, communication is key to any, to having any successful relationship and communicating your feelings. And I suck at that. I am so, I just, from doing it so long in my child, because when you're a teenager, those teenage years are important during your psychological and mental state. And that's when your brain grows and you accustom all of those psychological things. And during that time when I should have been playing sports and doing all of the normal teenage stuff, I was going through where well, I, I'm not allowed to express my feelings. Right. His, his feelings are the only ones that matter and just holding it all in, bottling it all in. And so now I don't, I can say I'm happy, but is that really how I'm feeling kind of thing? Right. And I can't determine exactly what emotion I'm feeling. I, I silence up. I, I don't want to talk about it. I hold it in. I still struggle today with it. It's yeah. definitely an issue. It's normal. You know, you would think that it's like the natural progression of of how, you know, if you're not learning how to deal with your emotions or express your emotions, then you're going to have problems with it through your entire life. Even if you learn how to do it properly, it's still going to be something that you work on every day because it's not built into your core Exactly. And I mean, I know my mom still struggles with it. I mean, she's still hasn't and I'm and I'm not saying that you have to be in a relationship to be to get out of the cycle and to to be your own you you can be your own person without being in a relationship so I'm I'm definitely not saying that by any means but she has been in a relationship since it has and literally every guy that she's been with has been a piece of crap she's actually gone through the whole domestic violence situation again just last year currently has a VPO on him and it was pretty crazy just kind of reliving all of that again and um but going back to my stuff um the story yeah um I I don't remember where I was we were talking about the the four months prior to when he actually oh yes he acted like I stabbed him and he went back to his apart his trailer and the cops never arrested him so we went ended up leaving and going to my grandparents house that night and my the next morning my neighbors call or text my mom and say the dogs are out the gates open well we call the cops they go check it out nothing's in the house so he did that three different times he broke into our house and because we stayed with my grandparents and we didn't go back to that trailer he went he broke into our house three different times he ended up stealing and my mom of course was on food stamps and stuff like that and so he stole everything out of our deep freeze he so like meat he toilet paper all of the like little essentials like that and he I remember uh, my mom saying that the house smelled like frozen pizza like he had the oven on and the shower was like the mirror was still steamy so he had taken a hot shower stole all of our food made food and he had pants still on the ground and my mom had found a bag of meth in the pants. Wow. So all of that happened. And he was still not arrested. We went back to my grandparents. I don't remember, like, actual details, like, other than what I'm telling you, like, the 
any other like questions and details I, I, I honestly blocked out a lot and then I believe it was that third day when he broke into our house I was my mom worked at a gas station in McLeod and funny thing is is like there's here's the gas station and then there's like a hill or a hill and then the police station so it's right there literally walking down the hill hill and you you're you're there at the gas station I would go to work with her sometimes just help her out hang out and whatnot and we get a call and he is under my bed so back, back up for a second I am kind of into the hunting stage I never had anybody to really take me hunting but I was into going like deer hunting and stuff like that and my grandpa had given me some hunting knives which are very sharp because they can cut your deer skin right and I had hid those so I had a twin like day bed kind of type and so it was a mattress and then wood slates there wasn't like a box spring um and then the in the bottom of the bed and I had hid the knives in between the mattress and the the slates and he was caught underneath my bed with a stab wound by the cops sweating and this is the exact words that I remember from the police report. He was sweating and crying profusely, saying he did not want to go to jail and that he was stabbed. He, th this psychopath stabbed himself with my hunting knife to make it look like I stabbed him with that steak knife. He was arrested and taken to the emergency room. I think he had like 21 stitches or something like that, but he was never booked. He was released from the, the hospital. Either he was released or he left the hospital, something along those lines. And all of a sudden, he shows up at my mom's work. He doesn't come inside. I actually have a taser with me because my grandpa gave it to me. And, I, like, he doesn't go inside. He ends up leaving. But I think he just did it to just know he's there kind of thing. For four months, we did end up going back to the trailer because he tortured us for four months. For four months, we did have a VPO at this point. We had an emergency VPO from the, from the day he strangled me. We had a regular just victim's protection order. It usually says you can't come in between like 500 to 1,000 feet, and you're not allowed to text, call, have any communications or anything like that with the party. Well, he would text my mom all the time. He would tell her that he has video cameras in our house and microphones and he's spying on her and how my mom is this and that, this, whatever. And we're, I'm still sleeping in the living room because we're, he's still making threats about catching our house on fire. He still lives in the front of the trailer park. Nothing has happened other than him. Not, he's not there to abuse us and we have a VPO now. And he would sit underneath our living room window outside and eavesdrop because trailer, old trailers, you can hear anything. He, in the middle of the night, he would get into his truck and he would drive past our trailer and he would rev up the engine and just, just do all of that for four months to the point where the bus stop was like, so he was probably the, there's the bus stop the mailboxes, and then he, I want to say he's probably the second, maybe third, four, or fourth um, trailer at the beginning by the bus stop. So we couldn't even walk to the bus stop and catch the bus without him being in violation of the VPO. Yeah. And of obviously all that communication, all of the revving his engine, sitting under our, our window, all of that was violation. And we had screenshots of, of all the text messages and stuff well that was before iPhones but we had pictures of the phone he would wake up every single morning does not matter how high he was or if he had a one of those dope pours or anybody in his trailer he would wake up every morning and he would stand on his front porch with his arms folded over his chest and watch us get on the bus like he's still there kind of just a threat finally I don't know how I got this information, but we had an old family friend. He's actually burned us twice now. This is being number one. And he was my mom and my mom and sperm donors friends and grew up, they grew up together. 
and he was actually my uncle Dusty and I don't care if his name is out because he's also a piece of crap and a drughead and he lived in another trailer park probably about five miles down the road and I guess we're so this is probably all within December, January, February area because he was arrested in April or well, no, November, December, January, February, March, March, March. He was, we went through all the tests, the, the testifying, the trial and everything. I think he was finally put, the last trial was in like around April, May area, but he was arrested, I guess in March, finally. And I found out he was staying with my uncle, Dusty, the police officer, the main one on the case, I was also at my mom's work this day. And I just looked at him and I was like, do you really want to arrest him? And he was like, well, yeah. And I was like, here's his address. This is where he's staying. And then the next, like by the next day we had had news that he was arrested. Funny story because, or funny addition to the story, he was, so the cops busted through the door and he tried to run uh, or my uncle tried to tell him to run, but he was taking a shit. So he was arrested taking a shit, which was, is very satisfactory to me. <laughs> he went to jail. The whole court, court cases, all of that started. And he was, so he was arrested for domestic violence in front of a minor, domestic violence against a minor, which was the strangulation, first degree burglary and which was from breaking us breaking up into our um, trailer several times he was never charged with breaking the vpo which i think is also another small town thing because he violated that over a thousand times i want to say within four months i remember testifying in front of a jury it almost went to mistrial because of something either one of the cops or my mom said about because he was a he's a past this would have been his third time down um or third time to prison which would have been life the strangulation charge would have got him 25 to life also um i remember testifying and telling the jury um everything that happened he actually fired his court appointed free lawyer that he didn't have to pay for that the taxpayers pay for and wanted to represent himself and somehow because the cops and again I think this is a small town thing where they are just not educated and trained enough in domestic violence where they and I was my mom and my myself was all just just so shaken up that we didn't know what to do but after he strangled strangled me and everything happened that night the cops took pictures of my throat and pictures of the knife pictures of the door everything but we never went to the hospital to get me checked out medically and the cops are told us we didn't need to because they had everything record with pictures and then their statements because we did not go to the hospital that night he got off with strangling me, strangling me. That charge was dropped. I don't know if, how, but his, he ended up getting another court appointed lawyer and she got it taken off. She made a huge, it was a huge thing with the trial. And now I've actually looked it up on Oklahoma Department of Corrections. And from what it looks like on his actual charges, it sounds, it looks like he was only charged with first degree burglary, which now he is supposed to be 25 to life he only has to serve 10 his sentence was 10 years and the judge made it to where he only had to serve 85 percent of that which is eight and a half now 2020 comes along um probably about four about four months ago it was right around september we just moved because of the military and we get a notification from Vine, which is a great asset to any domestic violence survivors that are going through this. If your abuser is ha, has been arrested and you are you have a victim's protection order, um, emergency or actual five-year VPO, you can uh, sign up for Vine 
and I don't remember what the acronyms are stand for, but it's victim something. Mm-hmm. And so while the, your abuser is in jail, in prison, or if he is released on parole or gets transferred to another facility, you will get a text message or email or something saying that update. Um, we've over the course of the eight years, he's been transferred to a couple different facilities. We've gotten notification of that. Well, we got a text from Vine, both my mom and I, saying that he was not going to be on parole. We both were very determined we were going to go to that parole hearing and just make like tell the truth and say this man does not deserve to be free. And turns out, apparently in Oklahoma, um, and I don't know if any other states are like this, and I did not know this because even we were told he would have a parole hearing, but because he is a prior felon and he was actually already on parole, and that was another thing he didn't get charged for was breaking parole because, you know, going back to prison is obviously a whole nother like there was being doing drugs I mean that's all breaking parole right (laughs) he was already on parole before he went to jail or prison this last time so he doesn't get a parole hearing he actually is going to get released I believe August 25th of this year which is a great birthday present for me because I my birthday is August 27th Wow. So that's going to be fun, especially since I'll have a one month old baby. <laughs> I'm not ready for that day, but we, I, I called a bunch of numbers, the district attorney and everything. And that's when we, um, when I found out that he wasn't going to get a parole hearing, he's served his time. So he's free to go. If, unless he gets shanked or he breaks another law or something in prison where his time is extended, he is free to go, which sucks. So I've connected with, um, as you said earlier in my introduction, um, I never completed the domestic violence advocate training, but I did go through the actual classes and I learned a lot and I connected with several people and I connected my mom with one of those people and one of the um, certified advocates. So I did go through the training, but I did, I'm not certified. And so in, I believe it actually this month or February, um, she's going to get in contact with my mom and they're going to get their VPOs renewed and all of that. Right. Is your sister still with your mom? She's 19 now, so she, um, she's, they still, they stop, talk every day. They're really close. They actually live in the same area, and so they're, they're, they're really close. I still, I FaceTime my mom and my grandma and my, my sister all the time. Yeah. Give them life updates since I'm not around. She's doing good. She went through, um, some bullying in high school, so she dropped out of school, but she's doing online school. She actually, I'm very proud of her she has two classes left before she finally graduates. My mom's kind of putting her life back together from last year's incident with domestic violence and going through all of that. So, but she's finally back on her own working and whatnot. And I just want to kind of go back a little bit to when you were younger and you know, just this all happened and you said that you, he finally got arrested when you were about 13. Is that right? It was uh, around, it was in 2013, so yeah, probably about 13 years old. And that's... No, no, I was um, 14 or 15 because I was uh, was going through the abuse at 13, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. So you finally get out of this situation um, and you're in the midst of your high school years. How did you get through that and I know that you that's when you got your certified nursing assistant Mm -hmm. certification how did you find the courage and the strength to push past that and do something like that in your junior year of high school so honestly I'm not gonna lie there were uh during the abuse time um there was a lot of times that I just thought to myself well, if I'm not here, maybe I'm making it worse. If I'm not here anymore, 
would that make things better? And there was times that I did try and I would, I remember locking myself in my bedroom door or my bedroom and trying to commit suicide. But my sister being four years younger than me and growing up, growing up without a sister. And then I would always think about my grandparents. um, Because like I said before, they had, they have custody. Well, now I'm an adult, but they had custody with of us, um, both my sister and I, since we were really young, probably. So probably about seven, eight years old. And so they're my livelihood. I always wanted to make them proud. I still, even though my grandpa's passed now, I still constantly have that as my goal to make my grandparents proud. I'm obviously here, so I never committed suicide, and I just kind of pushed through with that aspect, with with that thought in my head of my sister and my grandparents. Um, So they kind of pulled me out of that hole in a psychological way. My grandpa, rest in peace, but he was in a serious accident when he was in the Air Force. So he had a broken neck and back um, for 30 plus years, was 100% medically retired from the Air Force. And I always had this goal that I would be the one to take care of him. Um, he would not go to a nursing home or anything like that. I always wanted. So I found out that my junior in my school, they did Votech courses your junior year and uh, senior year of high school. So I joined my junior year and I would do afternoons classes at the Votech. And I, so my junior year of high school was 2013. So in May, Mar- March of 2013, I got certified as a certified nursing assistant after doing clinicals and nursing homes and all of the training and stuff. I was certified, but I could never pursue that and get a job because the insurance laws had changed to where you could only be, you had to be 18 to work in a, in a medical hospital, nursing home, anything like that. Well, I had just barely turned 16, so I never really pursued it, but I still took care of my grandpa as much as I could and helped my grandma, and um, I ended up pushing through my senior year and graduating high school, and I graduated high school May of 2014, went to college August of 2014, so I just took the summer off, went through school, moved on campus to, they weren't really dorms, they were like apartment complexes, but it was still ruled by the college, so that was the first time I moved out on my own, and I still, to that day, to, to this day, just have in my head, make my grandma and grandpa proud, like, I want to make my sister I have, I, I had to grow up very fast, obviously, and I never really got to be a teenager. So with that mature mindset, I always felt not, not on top of, on top of my grandparents and making, wanting to make them feel, uh, feel proud. And I also had my sister and then I also have two cousins all looking up to me where I felt I always felt like I had that on my shoulders I always felt like somebody was looking up at me and so I was the first one in my family other than my grandparents to go to college graduate college not let alone graduate college with honors yeah I actually with how you graduate with honors at Rose State was you have to do honor projects in like 12 credit courses or 12 up to 12 credit courses. So one of my projects was in English composition too. I really, really connected with my professor and she, I found out she was also a survivor of abuse and she helped me write. I want to say it was probably 30 pages. And I think I told you I would send it to you. I don't know if I ever did. So I still have that. It, it, It was a six short stories of my experience and then six ways of how you can, how you can get out and how you can get help and stuff like that. And I actually tried to form a group. Funny, I think I mentioned this to you, but it was called Survive and Thrive. Yes, and, yeah, you did tell me. Um, I thought that was just a 
crazy coincidence. I can't say the word. Coincidence. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and of course, it never really happened. It never. I, I did a lot. I did brochures. I did tables at events and stuff like that. But domestic violence, even nowadays, now in 2020, is something that people don't want to talk about. No. Sexual abuse is uh, anything abuse related is just you, you don't. And you don't talk about it. Exactly. I want to try to get into a little bit of the domestic violence advocate work and how um, the training was for that. Okay. Because we're running almost into an hour. I this conversation's going oh, great. I know it's been, sorry. <laughs> no, don't apologize. Um, but I really want to get into that and what it was like um, before we wrap up. Because of my experience, I, I've always held domestic violence and survivors and getting out near and dear to my heart. I, just telling my story, even on this podcast, if I can help one woman, like that would just be life, life shattering goals. And I was, so it was in 2018. I actually tried to, when I turned 18, my VPO went expired and I tried three different times to renew it, but the county office would not serve him in prison for some reason. So that just kind of was weird. And my husband and I got, so we never got my VPO renewed. And then after my, my grandpa passed away, which was terrible timing, just two months, probably, probably about a month or two after he passed, I really dived into church, just forming a relationship with God and trying to have him heal my grief and everything that happened with my grandpa and I met this wonderful lady her name is Darla and she is a advocate for Medell Youth and Family Center and she is heaven sent she's she's helped so many people so many women so many children get out of situations just hearing her her work I always I kind of wanted always wanted to volunteer under her but with my full-time job I could never really take on that extra time because working a normal Monday through Friday eight to five job you can't really go to court cases and stuff like that and be a domestic violence advocate so I told her that I would take the emergency phone if we had a late survivor and everything and but in order for me to do that I had to go through domestic violence training so I went through the YWCA which is an amazing organization for anybody in abusive situations it's a great organization that has so many ways to help you get out I went through training there and I unfortunately like I said never finished it Life kind of threw us some ways. My grandpa had just passed away and my husband decided to join the military and I had to get, I, I had a second job during the Christmas time and it was just rough on finishing it. I went through all of the actual in-person classes, but I never finished the online homework just because life got hectic and I just learned a lot of different things. I wish I would have gotten certified and finished the course, but it'll come. It'll definitely yeah. come. I think that it's awesome. I think that everybody needs an advocate or to learn just some form of a survivor has to go through to go through the court system to get their abuser in jail and to, because it, it, it's so complicated and so stressful. Oh, that they're, they're, that's the reason why a lot of women don't go through the court system. They just up and leave and they don't prosecute or do anything. I think it's awesome that you went through that training even after being a victim. Yes. And I, just to attest to that, like I, I completely agree. And I'm, I'm here to tell you um, from my story, from my mom's story, you can get out. You do not rely on your abuser. You are not worthless. You can survive on your own and take care of you and your kids if you have kids. You are going through the surviving mode. Now it's time to thrive. And there's so many organizations out there that can help you leave. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to be the hardest thing that you've ever done in your life because it takes that much amount of strength. And then you finally get 
and this is another thing I completely agree with you, Heather, the uh, big reason why people don't prosecute. You think that you're going to ruin their life or their career because they're in the military or they're a city official or they're a police officer. It, I, it doesn't matter. Ruin their career because they are, have ruined your life. They, or they have abused you. They have put you in this lock where you can't live a happy life so go for it sister like (laughs) like yes just report them and I'm not gonna lie especially being 13 years old and having to sit in front of a courtroom and a public courtroom and 12 jurors and look at him with his smirk on his face and tell the story it was absolutely terrifying and I'm sure with my mom it was even worse because she's an adult and she finally got the courage to leave after what taking him back two times that just shows like the amount of courage she has and she still stood there and testified listened to all three cops that testified and then we watched him get the unfortunate uh, charges dropped and which would have made him their life so I, I I just have that feeling he's gonna come back for re- revenge when he gets out and it, it, it's earth shattering knowing knowing that so I, I just want to tell you that no matter how hard it is you are strong enough you you've gone through the abuse now just just thrive and live your life and prosecute him to the fullest extent or her because there are female abusers yep. unfortunately yep so definitely well wrapping up we've got three questions that we ask every guest that come on the show and so I'm gonna ask you those the first one is what would the new you say to the old you um stay strong and never give up for sure honestly I I'm not thankful that I went through the abuse I'm not thankful that or grateful that I went through all of those hard times especially being such a young age but like I said earlier, it's when, when you tell people you're a survivor and people are just like, oh, I'm so sorry. That's so terrible. Like it's, it's the, the way that I had, I grew up and had to grow up so fast and had felt like I had all of that pressure on my shoulders to be that first person to go to college and graduate college and do this bam, 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 and all of it in order and stop the cycle of abuse. It was really hard but it made me the person who I am today I don't think I would be this strong independent person that I am even though I do go through things like not being able to express my feelings stuff like that because that's just something that those years of abuse take away from you but I honestly wouldn't have changed a thing that happened because I now have an associate's degree. I now have a wonderful, loving husband who takes great care of me and two dogs. And I am expecting our first baby. And I I just wouldn't have it any other way. And now you can be an advocate for anybody else that's in that situation. So I think exactly you have to, and I live by um, the fact like everybody is like oh I regret this I regret regret that I don't ever regret anything that I've done in my life I learned from the mistakes because exactly I mean I mean you can't change it so what's the point in dwelling exactly when you can just embrace it and and make a change in the future for sure exactly and that's one one thing that I think God um I mean I I'm I'm not like that religious but being with my, my husband and stuff we really got into church especially after my grandpa passed and I just think that God put me in this world to help other people whether it was to help my grandpa take care of him or become a nurse which I never ended up doing but I'm still in the medical field and I still help people every day when I'm working and I, I want to help other survivors <laughs> get out and show them that you are strong enough and you can break the cycle. Definitely. 
Um, our second question is what is something that you do to get through a tough situation that you could recommend to our listeners just kind of that you do to relax and get back into everyday mode? Vent to my husband is a big one because especially now that we, the military's moved us uh, far away from our family and friends. I don't really have friends down here. Um, so I, event to my husband and I'll text to one of my friends from Oklahoma and hot baths. Now I can't drink because I am <laughs> pregnant. Yeah. But, uh, a, a nice margarita helps too. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, and then the last question is, um, is there a book quote podcast ebook or anything that you listen to or, or have that has helped you get through? Um, one, I wouldn't say necessarily a book. Um, there are, um, I'm going to pause the video. I'm, but I let me know if you can still hear me. Yep. Can you still hear me? Yes. Okay, perfect. I'm going to go find the, the quote. Um, I do have one, the tap, I have my very first tattoo when I turned 18 is fearless. And I just, that word makes me feel like I can overcome anything that is so so strong to me I also have another tattoo says sometimes you fall before you fly and I just feel like that is so important for people to know and understand that no matter what whether it is an abusive situation whether you lose your job or you flunk a class in school or anything in life sometimes you have to fall before you can get up life is gonna throw you lemons and you're just gonna have to make lemonade out of it really there's a bible verse that really stuck with me and it's proverbs 31 25 i also have that tattooed <laughs> <laughs> she is close in strength and dignity and lasts without fear of future um, that is probably one of the most popular bible verses but yeah it, it's true you you have the strength and dignity and now you just live life without fear and when I was in college forming my group trying to help that help that get started and everything um I came across and I cannot pronounce her last name but Maya Angelou I think yeah. is how, um, Maya Angelou. yes and she has a quote that says the question is not how to survive but how to thrive with passion compassion humor and style and then she has another quote that says surviving is important thriving is elegant I really really like those um and just because you asked about a book not necessarily abuse related or anything but there is if, if you like motivational books Mel Robbins is a very very highly motivated speaker and she has a book called the five second rule yes and I love the five second rule it is amazing quick brief of it she went through a really hard time with jobs and changing her career and because of that she got depressed and she went to alcohol um, to the point where she wouldn't wake up in the morning to get her kids ready for bed her husband had a restaurant they decided to franchise it that failed and it was just a bam 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 effect kind of thing and one day she saw a commercial of a rocket launching and she said, you know what, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to do the countdown like that rocket. Five, four, three, two, one, get up. And now she lives to that. She gets up and she moves on. She yep. lives her life. Now she's literally, look her up. She's one of the most successful speakers i i love the five second rule um the the person that actually started made us do the podcast his name is travis chapel uh -huh. we, we name him a lot um on here just because we're super thankful for him he introduced me to the five second rule on his podcast and it was literally if it doesn't matter in five years don't waste more than five seconds on it 
Exactly. And um, not only that, but your mind, your, and, and there's a lot of scientific facts in her book about this, but your mind has five seconds before it kind of talks you out like, oh, I'm hungry and I want a bag of chips. But really, do you want a bag of chips or do you need to eat some carrots and ranch? Right. Or are you just so, bored and your fingers yeah. need to do something? <laughs> exactly. Well, you have five seconds before your brain is going to take over and change your mind. So that's how she came up with that is you say you five, four, three, two, one, and then you just do it. Yep. Because that way your mind can't take over and you want that drink. You're struggling with alcohol. You want that drink, but you don't need it because you are a hundred days clean. Five, four, three, two, one, don't drink. And it's a lot harder right. said than done. You're right. going to have to train your brain to do it. Right. But it, if you train your brain to do it and you actually do it and she's, she wants you to start by little things like just getting up, don't press snooze. That's one of the challenges in her book. Yeah. Turn off your, or set one alarm for what time you need to get up Five, four, three, two, one, and just get up. It's yeah, it, it's life changing. I'm glad you brought that up. Sierra, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, for sharing your story, for giving um, everybody that's listening your ba- just different things and, and different insights into how to move past that situation. So thank you very much for coming on the show. If you or anyone you know has been victimized by domestic violence, please reach out to us for resources and ways our organization can help you. You can find us on social media at 2thrivingatl, T-O-thriving-A-T-L, or online at 2thriving.org.